This is Anthony in Areno, and you're listening to In the Arena. This episode of In the Arena is sponsored by Sales Accelerator, the very best and most complete training for B2B sales professionals and B2B sales organizations. So listen, if you want to improve your sales results or the results of your team, I want to share a program with you that I created called Sales Accelerator. It's a training platform for salespeople, for sales managers, and for sales leaders. The training platform includes 450 individual lessons and 33 individual courses with a new course being added every week. And all of the fundamentals are covered there and including advanced concepts like level four value creation and building consensus and leading with insight, as well as prospecting and targeting and diagnosing and negotiating and closing, all very, very interactive and all actionable and practical and tactical because that's what I like to do. But I want to share with you just one of my favorite programs. It's a special program. We call it Coach. There are 100 videos in this program with more added every couple weeks. And in this course, I give you the language for every common prompt, objection, concern, and pushback that clients are going to throw at you while you're selling. So if you ever wanted to know what to say and how to say it, this program is going to give you everything you need to be able to have these kind of client conversations and to execute all the things that you'll find in a book like The Lost Art of Closing. How do you ask them for consensus? How do you ask them to invest more? All of those things are covered. So if you want B2B sales training that allows you to up your game, to become a peer and a trusted advisor, to learn the state of the art of consultative selling now, This is that program. So go visit me at b2bsalestraining.com. And if you want to make more sales even faster, let me help you accelerate the results of your team. Call me at 833-ANARINO. That's 833-426-6274. 833-426-6274. And let's accelerate your sales. Kevin Eikenberry is a world-renowned leadership expert and two-time best-selling author. He's also the chief potential officer of the Kevin Eikenberry Group, a leadership and learning consulting company that specializes in leadership, teams, organizational culture, facilitating change, and other things like that. He came to my attention with a book that he wrote on leadership from a distance, so when you have people working from home. Many people now work from home, and I think that provides an interesting set of challenges as a leader for things like culture, for things like accountability. And all of these things are important enough that I asked Kevin to come on and talk about how one leads successfully from a distance. This is Kevin Eikenberry in the arena. Kevin, how are you? I'm fantastic. Glad to be with you this morning. Well, thanks for being here. I want to talk about your book, The Long Distance Leader, and I'm fascinated by the subject. I had no idea that you wrote a book like this, and it's a super useful book because I've been thinking about this a lot lately because the world is changing dramatically. And I have a copy of the book Remote by uh, the guys from Basecamp 37 Signals, which I picked up two weeks ago. Uh, just specifically because I think this is a complicated thing to talk through. So I want to start, 
you spend your time working with leaders and you're a leadership guy. So I want to start with something that's fundamental and something that I've had dozens and dozens of arguments with leaders about over the years. And that is the difference between a manager and a leader. And I'm always on the side of this that says there's a dramatic difference between a leader and a manager. And I get pushed back to say, no, it's the same thing. I just need a good manager. And I continue to say, as it pertains to leadership, especially with the sales force, you might have the title sales manager, but they're really a leader. They're leading a team. And that's a very different concept for me. Can you describe the difference between these two roles as a starting point for people? Yeah. So let's start with the fact that I definitely believe that they are different. And I definitely think that most people who say all they need is a manager have never actually had a leader. And the third thing I will say is that there are some people who want to say they're the same. And there's some people who want to take manager and make it a, a four-letter word. I am not in that camp either. I believe that when you have a role where you have folks who report to you, I don't love that language, but it's the language of our world. You have people that report to you. You have a role, you have a hat to wear as a manager. You budget, forecast, plan, organize, coordinate. That is a manager and that's an important part of your job, but it's not all of your job because the other part of your job is the leadership part. And the leadership part is far more complex and it's far less black and white and it's all about the people. It's coaching. It's a whole lot of the, it's how do we build collaboration? It's creation of culture. It's setting a vision. It's goal setting, et cetera. And the, the way I like to think about it is think about the MasterCard logo and put management on one circle and leadership in the other circle, and they overlap. Some skills that we need to manage, like communicate, are also skills that we need to lead. I believe that leaders should be able to make processes and projects happen, and that would certainly overlap with management. Right. So I believe they are separate, both important. Leadership is harder, more complex, less black and white, and far less often experienced. How often do you look at something like LinkedIn and you see some post that somebody wrote that leadership is vision? That's the single attribute a leader must have is vision. And then the next thing you'll see is that the single attribute that they should have is the ability to hold people accountable. And then you'll see the most important thing is to grow people. And you look at it and you say, there must be six or 8,000 types of attributes or character traits that are the most important thing for a leader to be able to do, right? Because it is the most difficult thing to be great at. And I wouldn't say it's people that report anymore. I would just say that's the people that are in your charge. They're not responsible to you in any more way than you are responsible to them. And I think that's the shift between the roles. And I think you can be a really good manager and a lousy leader. And you can and be a really great, right. You can be a great leader and a terrible manager. And leadership tends to be the variable, I think, though. And if the leader is also a, an effective manager, a better leader and an, a, still an effective manager, that's where things start to really happen. I completely agree. I agree with you 100%. Okay. So there are a lot of us and probably many people that are going to be listening to this podcast that have had to lead teams at a distance for a long time particularly because they're either all over the country or they're all over the world. But I think what's changed for us in a lot of cases is that in the past, all the people that we led were in a building with other people that were also in our charge or also worked for the same company. And they were actually going to a place called work. That place was actually, the name of the place was work. It's not what they were doing. It's where they were going at that particular time. And you know, this is true too. Sometimes people go to work, but they don't go to work. They just actually show up in a building. 
So yeah. now many of them are home and they're not surrounded by peers. And in many cases, they're not even surrounded by people. They're by themselves. So the first thing I think that leaders worry about, or I know at least I have, is the question, are my people even working right now? Are they working? Are they doing anything? Are they doing anything? And if they are, what is it that they're doing? So how do I get the trust that even though I can't see them, which you know, is still true for many of us, even when we're in the same building with people, we can't see them. But ultimately, the trust is they're at home. So they're watching cat videos on Facebook. You know, they're talking to the UPS person that showed up at their door. They're being distracted by their family, all these other things. So I think that's a really big question. And it's two of the issues or challenges or concerns that we hear the most. Although interestingly, I think we're starting to hear them a little less often. But here's the thing. People do wonder. And I often say to that person, if I'm coaching them, how do you know what the people down the hall are doing? Are, unless you're looking over their shoulder all day long, which let's hope you're not doing that. You don't know that either. So I think there's a couple of things going on here. Number one is I'll ask you and I'll ask all of the people listening. Have you ever worked the week between Christmas and New Year's? Every year. And if you work in an office or you work around other people, how does that week compare to other weeks? From a productivity standpoint, let's call it uh, 0.10, like 10%, right? Yeah. In that neighborhood. If you're working that week, you know, if you've got things to work on, you have no distractions. You can get so much accomplished. I mean, you know, you got to get your head in the right spot. But if that's the case, you get so much more done. And that's the life of every day for a remote worker. So I think our experience would tell us, but the research also tells us that as a general statement, people are far more productive at home than they are at work because they have fewer distractions. Even if they do talk to the UPS man, they don't talk to 12 people that walk by their cubicle or into their office, or they don't have the 15-minute conversation by the water cooler or at the coffee pot. Now, I'm not even saying those are all bad things. We can get to that. The point is, on a purely productivity basis, if we're looking about individual work, most all the research, and I think experience would say we're going to get more done. Now, if you're not a good leader, if people don't know what's expected and all those things, that doesn't mean that that will always be true. But as a general statement, I think that we can say that that's true. Now, the reason that that gets in people's way as a leader is several things. One is they're not sure they could do it at home. And so they wonder how anyone else could. There's part of it. Another part of it is we're still operating with this mindset of I need them working for eight hours when what you really want is the work to be done. Right whatever the work is. You know, at some level, and I have been saying this for years, and, and I have a team, some here, and I'm actually in the office this morning, some here and most not, and I continue to have to teach, remind myself of what I like to share with others is, I don't really care. I want the work done. Right. And if people are getting great work done and can figure out how to do it in three hours, why should I care unless I can figure out how to help them do more work, right? But the fundamental thing, it's not about hours, it's about output. How many leaders do you see now working from home one day a week or two days a week for those very things that you mentioned? I can't have focused time. I'm getting too many interruptions. And even though you want to be there to serve your people, I think that we've gone from, uh, I have an open door policy to I have a open to all distractions policy. And there's a difference between those two things. And uh, you really can't do good focused work if you continually are interrupted one thing after the next. And I do see more leaders staying home. And I'm recommending, you know, if you have to do the hardest work that a leader has to do is think. And it's very difficult if you're just being in a reactive mode to switch and be in a proactive mode unless you have some solitude, 
somewhere where you can go, where you can get away from that. And I think that that's right for a lot of people who are disciplined enough to work from home. We just get way more done because the discipline and the work is there in front of us and we can do it. But it's the lack of interruptions, the lack of distractions that gives you the time to actually do good and meaningful work, in my opinion. So that's the trade-off we're making as we lose visibility. But if you've got people who are mature and who are disciplined enough to work from home, they're going to get a lot of work done. And there are clear expectations about the work and people are engaged in the work and they care about the work, then all those things. We're going to get to that. I have a question because I want to talk about that because I think it's important uh, the way you laid it out in the book, but I want to go one other place first. So I've got uh, three more big questions for you. My second concern as a leader, and, and I'm voicing concerns that you recognize and address in the book, and I'm also voicing my concern as a leader is that then my job, one of the leader's foundational roles is to create a culture and then to defend that culture from anything that might damage it. And what I worry about is when we're not in the same place and we don't, so you you started to say this, we don't have the talk at the water cooler. I don't get to rub up against you because we walked into each other at the hall and have this conversation about how your kids are and to share what we're doing and why we're doing it. And I just wonder, is there a price that we're paying for not being able to develop the culture and share our values and inspire people with mission and purpose and ask about their families and do the things that make someone a great leader? And I think that in leadership courses that that I've either delivered or workshops that I've participated in, the best leader you had was not the one that ignored you and not the one that allowed you to be mediocre. It was the one that knew enough about you to figure out how to challenge you to become a better version of yourself. That's the best leader. The one you remember is not the one that was easy on you. It was the one that was hard on you because their heart was in the right place and they wanted something more for you. What's the risk there for a leader and how does a leader think about, I still need to develop this culture and meaning and purpose and know my people and know how to challenge them? How about all those things? Well, there's like 12 questions in there. Um, yeah, answer so, them all. I'm turning it over <laughs> to you. Just go. Well, let's take a one. Or let me try to close two or at least two or three of those loops. So the first one, let's talk about culture. Like you've got one and you will have one if you do nothing. It just may not be the one you want. So like culture will exist and does exist. It's, it's the nature of human dynamics. There is a way. It may not be the way you want. So we could have that whole conversation. I don't think that's really the biggest piece of what you just said. We can come back to that if you want. Let me talk about that second one. And that is, yeah, if I bump into you in the hallway, I have the chance to get, you know, I'm listen, we all know people who bump into people in the hallway and still don't know anything about the other person's life, their kids, their challenges, their favorite college football team, whatever, right? And, and so Tom Peters, who I just had on my podcast recently, you know, he taught us that we should manage by wandering around. Well, you can't wander around when they're around the world. So right. he and I talked on the podcast. I said, so we have to lead by phoning around or lead by webcam. And so here's the thing. When we get on a phone call in any part of our lives, I mean, unless it's just a truly personal call, we always say, man, I know you're busy, right? And so the, the calls or the webcam conversations be, can become extremely transactional. We need to get this business done. We need to move on. And we, as the leader, need to extend that call as appropriate and when appropriate to talk about the kinds of things and build the relationship and nurture trust that you've just been talking about. And if we don't do it as the leader, it likely won't happen. I mean, you might have a person who has a strong social need that's working by themselves that might reach out to you to do that. But because of the inherent 
power imbalance between us as the person in charge, as the boss, whatever word you want to use, they're not necessarily going to try to engage that conversation. It has to come from us. It might happen that way in the hallway. It won't happen on the phone or on the webcam. So we have to take the initiative and we have to be intentional and we have to think this. We have to realize that that is part of the job. I mean, you made the comment earlier about going to the leader going to work from home so they can, they can, you know, they don't have to be all those interruptions. And I agree with that. And yet the interruptions are part of the job, or at least the interactions are part of the job. We can put a lot more control over our time in the office or not to manage how those interactions happen with less interruption. That's for sure. And so Then the third thing that I heard you asking about was how do we continue to create vision, help people see that picture? And that is, we do that the same if people are there or if they're not. And that's, we continue to talk about it. The things that we talk about it, do they, people see in our actions that we're leading toward those visions, toward that vision, toward those objectives, et cetera. So for example, I have a team that is spread out across the United States. There's 15 of us and only a couple are here. And we get together as a whole group twice a year. One of those times just happened. And, you know, a big part of the conversation is where are we headed for the rest of the year? And I've got to be clear that my actions are in alignment with those things. And not only do my actions have to be in alignment, they have to see that my actions are in alignment. And that's harder when they're not down the hall. So I have to be intentional, not about look at what I'm doing, but just so that they know what I'm doing and that they can have trust and faith that what I'm doing is in alignment with what I'm asking them to do, and we all understand why we're doing all of it. Which leads us to the next question. So you're giving me perfect segues here. And Uh, I didn't even know. I love Tom. I met him for the first time at the 800 CEO Reads uh, Book Awards last year. Just everything you would want in one of your heroes. You know, just and he delightful. is one of mine, and it was awesome to Gracious. do on the other side of the mic like I am today to have that conversation with him. It was fantastic. Yeah, he's a wonderful guy. How does a leader ensure that their goals and initiatives are actually being pursued effectively from a distance? So I think that one of the things that a leader does for sure, and I rattled off a bunch of words at the beginning of this, but one of them is I think a leader is accountable for the future. That's what a leader does. A leader says, we're here. This is where our future is. This is where we're going. And so the leader's accountable. And then that accountability for the future that the leader has in their vision cascades down to people. And where I see leaders struggle, first off, holding people accountable is difficult for many leaders. I think it's one of the challenges that leaders have. Can especially I, can I stop you right there? Yeah, go ahead. So we all talk about holding people accountable as if accountability is this negative thing. I think at least as much a part of our role as holding accountable. And there is a part of that, right? I think at least as big a part and an under-considered part is helping people be accountable. If there's a goal, if there's a vision, if there's a place we're trying to head towards. And by the way, if, back to our manager leader thing, if we don't have a desired future state that's different than where we are, we do not need leaders. Right. We may need managers. Like if you had a perfect world. Like if everything was perfect, you may not need a leader now, but just you still need a manager. Leaders mean we're moving to a place that we're not today. The leader helps to define that. The leader helps to keep us moving toward that. Leader holds us to that, but also helps us get there. I agree completely. Leaders just struggle even holding people accountable though. I see that more and more. And I think because some people have grown up in a culture where there was no accountability and so they don't have a model of what that looks like. And I think you're right. And I started off by saying, I think that I use people in your charge because you're responsible for them. 
And so that means you have to go help them. And in my, in my world, I say you have to help them with the mindset, the skill set, and the toolkits. And if you're unhappy with anything that anybody's doing, then first you have to look in the mirror and say, am I giving them what they need so that I am able to hold them accountable? Because if they're missing mindset, skill set, toolkit, that's on me. My hands aren't clean. So now I have to look here first and say, what do I change before I do that? You're always in it. You can't do it for them. That's called micromanaging, you know, or go be an individual contributor. The reality is that you have to look in the mirror. So tell me about as a distance leader, how do you make sure that your goals and initiatives are known and that they're being pursued? What is it when you can't see and, you know, a leader's time is their single finite non-renewable resource that's already overpacked? What's the best advice for a leader saying, I have all these remote people now, how do I know that this is being done in some way that gives me the confidence that I need? Well, we talk in the book about the three O model of leadership and that there are three O's that leaders should be focused on. In fact, it's our whole job and that is outcomes. We're talking about other people and then ourselves. The ourselves piece, the least of the three, not the most of the three, but can't be left out. And I think what we've just been talking about gets at that. But here's the thing. If our job is about helping people, is about reaching outcomes and use and engaging people to help reach those outcomes, then that conversation and that dialogue about the vision and the future and the reason why is job one. And I don't think that's any different whether they're down the hall or whether they're across the world. It's got to be an ongoing part of our conversation. And if we want it to become culture, right, then it has to be more than just words. It has to be actions, it has to be seen. You know, I need to be having, as a leader, ongoing conversations with my team members, not only about how they're doing, but how we're doing and how their role, you know, the biggest moment in our whole team meeting the other day was, and people listening have been in this meeting before. I think ours came out differently than some other people's meetings have been. But the the challenge from some of my folks who aren't on the front line with customers, right, not in a sales or even a marketing role was, how do I know, Kevin, that what I'm doing is moving us where we need to go? Mm. That's always going to be a challenge for certain sorts of roles, and I totally get that. And so my comment was, man, I need to do a better job to help you know that. And we need to know that that's not always going to be easy. But if you're feeling that or feeling it more than you once did, then that's on me. And so let's talk about what I can do to help fix that for you. Does that make sense? And you're going to have to communicate in a different way and probably different content for them to know. Different content. So you're invisible to them more frequently. Yeah. And you're invisible to them. So as invisible as they are to you, they're, they're telling you, well, hey, guess what, Kevin, you're invisible to me. So I, at I don't, least in this, hopefully only in this, not in every way, but at least yeah. in this way, I'm not in this way, maybe not invisible, but not clear enough. Yeah. It's good Absolutely. feedback. The last question I have for you here is I'm a, a tactical, practical person. So I love giant concepts and strategy, but I want to know how do I make it work? So because we have all these new technologies, I want to ask you to talk about the communication mediums that you think allow a leader and the people in their charge to have better communications. And are there some communications that lend themselves to different mediums now that you think are critical for a leader to be able to understand and use in their their day-to-day work? Because this is, uh, you know, I I had a, a client in I realized that his preferred method of communicating is chat. And he's the CEO of a couple hundred million dollar company. 
And I asked him, why do you prefer chat? And he said, I don't know. And I said, I'm going to take a guess here. You have teenage children. And he said, yeah. And I said, did you start chatting with them? Is that where you started? And he goes, yeah, I chat with them all the time on, you know, on the iPhone. And then he found out that he liked the communication because he was able to just give someone direction and answer a question with a yes or no. And it just became fast for him. So he was able to communicate with people. So it's a medium. And you don't think about a leader deciding that chat is a great medium for them to communicate with their people. But he's answering a lot of people with one word or two words while he's in between meetings. And they're getting answers that they need to move things forward from him without him having to take a lot of time to do those things. So tell me what you think about the mediums now. I own a farm in Michigan where I grew up. And when I'm at the farm, I I could probably very quickly find you 20 different hammers, different kinds of hammers, everything from a rubber mallet to a sledgehammer and everything in between. All of them have a role and they all have a best use. Okay, good. Because for a minute, I just thought you were a weirdo and that you just collected hammers. That would be, uh, that's your No, thing. what I collect is antique tractors, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but listen, like, okay, so <laughs> not the first time I've been called a weirdo either and probably thought a lot more than said. But we as workers today, leaders or not, who are working with others who aren't where we are, have a variety of tools. Hammers are tools. I got a bunch of them. You got a bunch of communication tools to use remotely. And some of them we use all the time and some of them you're not even going to think of when I put in this list. One of those tools is the phone. One of those tools is email. One of those tools is some sort of web presentation type of thing, right? Which could allow for a webcam like you and I are on right now. One of those tools might be instant messenger, chat. In our case, it happens to be Slack. You've got a shared file system. You've got maybe a wiki. You've got a whole bunch of tools. And like the hammers, they all have a place and they can all be misused. And if we don't use the right tool for the right job, we've got a problem. So I'm going to say three things. Number one, know the tools that you, as a leader, if you're not using the tool, your team isn't either, most likely, and know how to use it well. Because like any software, the research on the the web platforms, the you know, the Skype for businesses, the the Zooms, the WebExes, et cetera, of the world, that about 80% of people know how to use about 20% of the tool. So we got to know which tool to use. We got to know, we got to use the tool. We got to learn how to use the tool well. Then maybe more important than all that, we got to use the right tool at the right time. So everybody listening to us has had an email conversation go sideways. Yes. Third, fourth, fifth message. So in my organization, if we get to the third message, everybody knows someone better pick up the phone or turn on their webcam, right? Because email is not a tool that's good at an ongoing conversation. It's not the right tool. It's an awesome tool for the right task. Use it for the right thing. And while I like chat, instant message, in our case, Slack, to use it for lots of things, it has limitations too. So to your CEO that uses it and to where it's working, great. But if they use it to excess, it may still be serving him, may not be serving his folks, perhaps, right? So I would say, figure out the tools you've got, figure out how to use them, and then use the right one at the right time. Now, two more thoughts. One is, some people are going to like one more than another, and that's okay. So I can adjust to someone else's preference as long as it still works. For example, I have a 26-year-old son, and ever since he was about 17, he has a phone. I know he has it. But if I call him, he's not going to answer. 
But if I text him and say, Parker, give me a call, he'll call me immediately. I do not understand this. <laughs> it makes no sense to me. But if I want to talk to him, I do that because it works. It's fine. I adjust to that. And I'm okay with that. But now if you've got someone on your team that says, well, I prefer chatting and I'm not going to do anything else and the business requires something else, then that's not acceptable. What about face-to-face? Where does that fall when you have remote workers? Well, it's the richest of all mediums that we have, right? So anytime you have the chance to be with your folks face-to-face, you need to put in time, not just to do the work, but to build the relationship and to have that time yeah, to make sure we're talking about th- This is really why you brought your team together, not because you couldn't communicate what you wanted to communicate to them at a distance, because you certainly could have told them what was on your mind through many other mediums. Yeah. But you got them together, though, because there's a greater outcome available if you go face-to-face. and I, It's I, a synergistic thing, right? And it's a chance for them to build relationships with each other and not just with me. And even though there's a lot of things we can do very effectively using a tool like WebEx, and I'm, I'm just picking one, right? Because we're sort of agnostic about that. It's still not the same. The richest possible communication is face-to-face. The next richest one is the webcam. So if you, you wanted something very tactical, now we've had this long conversation. If you did said, Kevin, give me one thing to be tactical with, I would say, turn off your email and turn on your webcam. I think that that is going to be the new normal for us is that when it's distance, it's all going to be webcam. There's no reason not to do it. It's, it's practically free now. The quality is very good. And I can see you and you can see me. I can see you now. They're just hearing us. So no one else can see us, but you and I can, and we have for the whole time. It's made a better outcome for you and I. And it's made, as it turns out, it's made a better outcome for everyone that's only listening because we've been able, like at one point you were getting ready to say the word thinking and I put my fingers to my temples and you smiled and you knew that we were connected in the thought process and it could move us forward. Just a simple example of having not just the vocal cues, but the visual cues. I think I'm very long on us remaining human for a very long time. And I think face-to-face is still the gold standard and it should be. And I think leaders, if you're listening to this, I think there is a reason for you to get people together as frequently as you can, especially if they work remote so they don't feel like they're on an island and so that you get that. So where do people go to get the book? Well, the book is called The Long Distance Leader, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership. Thanks for asking. Go any one or so rules, a lot of rules. And there's like, I don't know, 18 rules. Basically, there's a rule for every chapter. You can go to any place, find books are sold, Amazon or wherever else you like to buy books, or you can go to longdistanceleaderbook.com. And if you go there, there's a good reason actually to go there. If you go there, you can get a sample chapter if you're not sure yet, even though we've had this long chat. No, they're sure. Um, We're buying. Come on. This is easy. Okay. Well, it is easy. It's, you know, anyway, a longdistanceleaderbook.com. The other th- reason to go there is that after you buy, we follow the instructions there. We'll give you a bunch of extra bonuses, including a one hour webinar recording and a bunch of other stuff just because uh, you bought the book. And where do people go to find out more about you and your work? A couple of places. The main part of our business is called the Kevin Eikenberry Group. So they can go to Kevin Eikenberry, K-E-V-I-N-E-I-K-E-N-B-E-R-R-Y.com. And from there, you can get to our blog on all of the services and ways that we can support you and lots of great free stuff there, including 13 Days to Remarkable Leadership, a video course for free. Or you can go directly to our 
site that's all about remote leadership. It's called remoteleadershipinstitute.com. We will put all that in the show notes. And uh, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed it. And uh, the book is great. It is what I like. It's practical, tactical. So you will have ideas that you can put to work immediately, chapter after chapter throughout the whole book. Well, I appreciate you saying that because that was our goal when we wrote it. So if that's working for readers, that's exactly what we were. It's clear. All right. Thanks, Kevin. That was Kevin Eikenberry, and you can find him at KevinEikenberry.com. I'm going to spell that for you. Kevin, traditional spelling, last name E-I-K-E-N-B-E-R-R-Y.com. You can also find the spelling of his name in the show notes, and do go pick up the book. I know you can find it on Amazon.com. It is a fast and a worthwhile read. What I like most about it is it's practical and tactical, and you can put that work to use immediately. My name is Anthony Anarino, and you can find me at thesalesblog.com. You can also find me at anarino.com. Both of those addresses will take you to the same place where you will be accosted by a pop-up banner asking you to sign up for my Sunday newsletter, the best work I produce every week, bar none. It shows up in your inbox on Sunday morning with a big idea that's practical and tactical and actionable so you can hit the ground running on Monday morning. You can also find me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino, where you can see my everyday program where you'll find content just like the blog, something that you can think about, something you can put to work right away. If you find this podcast valuable, please subscribe. That helps me tremendously and share it with your peers and your friends and other people that work in sales or management or leadership or who are success minded. Also, it would help me tremendously to spread the word if you would leave me a review. If you like this, give me your notes. Love to see those. We read every single one of them. If you're interested in more content, you can go to amazon.com and search my last name, Anarino. You'll find three books, The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, a sort of unfortunate title for a first book, followed by The Lost Art of Closing, Winning the Ten Commitments That Drive Sales. And on October 16th this year, we will release the third book called Eat Their Lunch, Winning Customers Away from Your Competitors. That will be the third book in as many years. Thanks for joining me here. And until next time, I'll see you in the arena. What follows here is a true story. A few years ago, I was sitting in a sales conference waiting for my turn to speak. And as I was catching up on things, I noticed an advertisement on Facebook for HubSpot's inbound conference. And at the time, I was immediately struck by the idea that while inbound is important, outbound is even more important. It's the difference between passively waiting and actively pursuing your goals and your dreams and the clients that you need to acquire. I walked out into the hall and I called my friend Jeb Blunt and I said, I have this idea. We're going to put on a conference called Outbound. And he said, that's the best idea you ever had. And I argued that it probably isn't the best idea I ever had, but it was a good idea. So we got Mike Weinberg and Mark Hunter on a phone call. Then the four of us committed to establishing our own conference, naturally naming it Outbound. In 2017, With about 12 weeks to plan and pull off the event, we had 400 people show up to the first event in Atlanta. Last year in 2018, we had a little longer period of time to set up for the event. We had 600 people show up, a growth of 50%. So why are people showing up in Atlanta to Outbound? Because they want to know how to prospect more effectively. Because they need to know how to build a pipeline now and because they want to be more productive with the time and the energy they have to go out and win new clients and grow their sales and make more money and take care of their people. So I'm inviting you to join me and Jeb Blunt and Mark Hunter and Mike Weinberg at the World Congress Center's Georgia Ballroom in Atlanta, Georgia on April 23rd to April 26th. 
this will be the very best sales conference you've ever attended, and you're going to get the practical, tactical development you need to be able to prospect more effectively, build your pipeline, and be more productive. You're also going to believe that you're at a rock concert, and you're going to have the very best time you've ever had. And this is truly an event like no other. Tickets are on pre-sale now, so I want you to go to outbound.ticketspice.com forward slash outbound hyphen 2019 to get tickets for you and your team. There are pre-sale tickets. They're super cheap for two days. You have to go get them right now while they're still up. That's outbound.ticketspice.com forward slash outbound hyphen 2019. That's where you go to get tickets. And listen, do this right now because when April comes around, you don't want to see all of your friends at Outbound posting everything that they're learning and the great time that they're having on social media while you're sitting at home. Go do this right now and I'll see you in Atlanta in April 2019. This episode of In the Arena is sponsored by me, Anthony Anarino, and the Outcomes Planner. I want to take a minute and share some information about my new planner with you. We call it B2B Sales Toolkit, and you can find it at B2BSalesToolkit.com. This is a planner that I designed for salespeople, and it's based on my own personal productivity strategies. If you ever wonder how I get so much done, you're going to find the answer at B2BSalesToolkit.com. The planner is made up of three parts. So the main planner is a hardcover book, and it's a place for you to capture your goals, your disciplines, your appointments and your sales statistics, and a bunch of other features. We call that big planner outcomes, because that's what productivity is. It's generating outcomes. And a lot of you listening to this may feel overwhelmed because you're busy, which is not the same thing as being productive. In fact, these two ideas are polar opposites. The second book you're going to find in the toolkit is called Outbound, and it's a place where you design and keep your pursuit plans for your dream clients. Those clients that are strategic enough, they're custom made for your value prop, and you're going to have to pursue them over some long period of time to be able to pull them away from your competitor. This is the only planner you're going to find that addresses winning your dream clients and making your number. There's nothing else on the market. We looked at every single thing. It's not designed for salespeople, but this is. The last piece is a tear sheet tablet that we call 90-Minute Blocks. And this piece is designed for you to sit down and very thoughtfully and intentionally decide what you're going to do with three 90-minute blocks each day for your most important outcomes and to plan that work. So this means what we're going to help you do is give yourself four and a half hours in proactive mode and three and a half hours in reactive responsive mode where you can still deal with the demands of your company, the demands of your clients, and all the other things that are going to interrupt you while you're trying to do your work. So go to B2B Sales Toolkit right now to check it out and subscribe to the program. When you sign up, you're going to get access to a 16-video course where I walk you through the planner and how to use it to create the greatest success for you and for your people. And then you're going to get an invitation to join us in a private Facebook group so you can share your success and so we can come on and give you live coaching. Go check out the planner at B2BSalesToolkit.com. Increase your productivity and I'll see you inside once you're in the Facebook group. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.